just when you thought it was safe to go onto iTunes. This is Next Level Guy. The only website that makes self-development as fun as going to the movies. It's time to take the red pill and escape the Matrix. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Next Level Guy Show podcast with your host, Ian Dawson Mackay. Today's guest is man of adventure, John Levy. John is a behavioural scientist, a consultant, a writer and a keynote speaker best known for his work in the fields of influence and social experience. After years of studying what has become known as the science of adventure, John was able to discern that every adventurous experience follows a predictable four-stage process. Each stage has specific characteristics that, when you apply them, make the experience exciting. This expertise has garnered John a reputation of one of the foremost authorities on adventure. In this interview, we talk about what an adventure is, how he manages to get people to buy him drinks all night, or persuades them to let him stay in their home, or even better, to travel the world with him, undertaking some amazing challenges, to things like why you need to leave your comfort zone, and how to start taking your own life by the scruff of the neck and living a life you never thought possible. If, like John says, a adventure happens by accident, then everybody would be having an adventurous life, but they simply aren't. Simply follow John's advice to build the life of your dreams. But before we get into that, a quick word about our affiliates. I've managed to build up some great relationships with some awesome companies. This allows me to obtain special discount codes, deals, and listener exclusives. Every sale that you make, the money goes back into developing and maintaining this podcast, which I thank you very much for. Please go to www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates. That's www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates for further information. I'm in particular love with The Tribe of Mentors. It's a fascinating book by Tim Ferriss. The Cognitive Enhancers from Onnit, which are called Alpha Brain. And The Natural by the awesome RSD Max, which is a pickup guide which can revolutionise your dating life. Another gem, which I'm currently wearing, it's a super comfy, very thin, yet really warm, under t-shirts by Under Armour, which I wear almost daily. I love them so much and have them in every colour. For these and so many more deals and to check out all the special offers, please go to www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates. And now to the interview with John. I hope you enjoy. So imagine we met at a party and I asked who you were and what you did. What would you say? Uh, well, I'm a, well, what I would say is that I make the little umbrellas and tropical drinks. Uh, <laughs> and and I, actually what I really say is, I, I'll tell you, but you won't believe me because what I do is so strange. And then people ask, what do you do? And I go, I make the little umbrellas and tropical drinks. And they go, wow, really? And I go, no, absolutely not. I'm a behavioral scientist and I study uh, influence, what affects our decision making and the science of adventure. And I actually wrote a book about it. So what do you think are the biggest problems with modern men today? Have we forgotten how to be adventurous? You know, are we just so so used to our comfort zones that we don't do anything anymore? Uh, so if we're specifically talking about men, uh, I think that there's, first of all, there's no limit to the <laughs> number of problems that we could tackle. Uh, but one of the things I find really interesting is that for most of our species evolution, 
we the males were raised by men and now males are predominantly raised by teachers and uh, often stay-at-home moms and that means they're being raised by women so the things that are uniquely passed down from father to son uh, stop being passed down in that way and so I think that uh, we're taught certain things that may or may not make sense right not that uh, like when I was growing up my mom used to say oh when kids make fun of you tell them to stop that it hurts your feelings and all I could think is that's gonna get me beat up <laughs> but and not that it's appropriate to fight but like there's something to uh, you know showing a bully that you're not going to be uh, take it and that you're gonna fight back so I think that we're often coddled we're taught uh, that the world is a dangerous place that um, and we're not taught to be as physical as we could be and I'm not talking about violence I'm just talking in general um, and so the fact is that uh, the world is a much 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 safer place than we ever care to admit that it is uh, we're so used to seeing stories about uh, death attacks uh, all the dangers and since our brain is wired to respond to that then the media produces more stories like that and uh, the famed um, influence researcher Robert Cialdini who wrote the book influence uh, in his new book talks about how whatever is focal is causal like whatever you see at the center of your attention you think is causing it or is disproportionately important and so we see all these things and we assume that they're dangerous they're risky and that we shouldn't be doing them but the fact is talking to strangers is fine traveling by yourself around the world is probably fine and so I've gone around the world and you know have I gotten hurt sure I was crushed by a bull in Pamplona I wrecked myself swimming in zero degree water in Antarctica I almost fell off the ghost tower of Bangkok uh, <laughs> scaling the walls there but it's uh, fundamentally you can do things that are incredibly exciting incredibly fulfilling and be really safe in the process and is there a problem with modern guys staying in the comfort zone? You know, does it does it affect us emotionally, mentally, like spiritually even? Um, just staying and going, okay, I just want a job, go home, watch TV. You know, why why do we need this sense of adventure in our lives? So let's answer this in two ways, if that's okay with you. The first is when I first started looking at the science of adventure, I had to define what an adventure even was. Um, there was no unified definition. And so the definition I use is that it's an experience that is one, exciting and remarkable. It's worth talking about. From a evolutionary perspective, we evolved sharing stories. And so if it's not worth sharing stories about, it's not culturally significant. Two is it must possess adversity and or risk. And here's the important part preferably perceived risk. Now, what I mean by that is that there are things that have immediate peril, right? Like a snake is attacking you or an avalanche, like that's has risk. But there are things that trigger a similar physiological response that are perfectly safe. Public speaking can freak people out. Going skydiving is incredibly safe, but is also very exciting. You just need something to overcome. And the third is it brings about growth. The person you are at the end is distinct from the person who started. Right? No great hero's journey ends with them being the same. And so uh, 
the first thing that you have to realize is that you don't have to live an adventurous life. The second is that not everybody has the same tolerance for novelty or risk. And if you don't, that's fine. But fundamentally, if you want to be engaged in your life, if you want it to feel interesting and exciting and you want to be a participant, then you need to do something that's outside of your comfort zone. How far? That's up to you. So say somebody's listening right now and they start saying, okay, that's fine for you. You've been doing this for a while or, you know, that person does this or uh, X, Y, Z of a number of reasons. How would mm-hmm. you start somebody? You know, what kind of things would you say to them? Like, how, how do you explain the shackles of the way society shows risk and our parents teach us to be super safe and stuff like that? How, how would you teach somebody to start living that life of adventure? You know, what kind of challenges would you get them to do? I, I think the key is to leverage a biological characteristic called the winner effect. And it works like this. If you have, if a, actually a mammal, right, a higher order mammal, experiences um, a win, then they flood with testosterone. You know, have you ever experienced something that you've succeeded at and you just you want to throw your hands up in the air in success and you you feel really confident and prepared for the next challenge mm-hmm. well research has shown that you're more likely to win your next challenge as a byproduct and this continues to happen as a feedback loop but you have to be careful because animals that win too much then think they're invincible and they spend too much time in the open and get hunted or they get into unnecessary fights and get killed but before any of that happens, uh, you can essentially experience a flywheel effect where you keep adding to the testosterone in your body and being more confident and, and building up uh, enough experience so that even if you fail at some point, it's not a big deal. It won't slow you down. Uh, so I'd start off with a whole bunch of small wins, right? And you want to understand you're going to cross some kind of social, physical, or emotional boundary. That might mean speaking to a stranger. So start off simple. Ask somebody for the time. Then ask them for directions. Then on top of that, ask them if they want to join you for a drink. I don't know. That might be too big of a deal for you. Uh, You could literally go to a bar and strike up a conversation with the person next to you. But the key is find that line where you start feeling uncomfortable. And that might be also a physical limitation, right? You could go for a run. A lot of people... When they try to get fit, go to the gym for the first time, go all out, and then they end up so sore they don't want to work out again. Well, then take it easy. Do five minutes the first day, 20 minutes the next, or 15. But you want to build up your tolerance for these things. Because if people were to do the kind of stuff that I do day one, they would crumble under the pressure. I drop myself off in foreign countries where I don't speak the language, don't know anybody. I don't have a place to stay. And either I will convince a stranger to put me up for the night or I will sleep on the street. Now, that's crazy. Nobody should do that. But I wanted to see how good I'd gotten at connecting with people, so I did. And do you find that there's, you know, do you meet certain people 
who are similar to you you know that would you consider yourself risk-free or when somebody's starting this should they go out have a mission in their head and say i'm only going to do this this and this or should they just go right let's see where this takes me you know how controlled should you start off with so I take very calculated risks, right? I've been traveling for years and years and years at this point. So I generally know that if I approach a certain person, the kinds of reactions I'll get. But let's really talk about what the risks are. You might have a slight risk that if you go uh, and travel, somebody could rob your stuff. Sure, it rarely happens, but it can. You could have the risk of embarrassing yourself. You could have the risk of spending money on something that you don't enjoy. Well, you travel enough, you're definitely going to waste a lot of money. But you're also going to have a whole lot of experiences that are priceless. So I kind of just view that as a tax. But I think the ultimate question is, what is it that you're concerned about in terms of loss or failure? What, like, what? what's the hesitation? And do you think you know, do you need travel to do this? You know, does it have to become an event? It only becomes an adventure when you travel outside of like the comfort zone, or do you need actual physical travel? Do you need to go to new cultures or new situations and that sort of thing? Well, that's a great question, and the answer is you don't have to uh, travel to other locations, but your brain is fundamentally wired for novelty. Anytime it experiences something new or different, it engages more. It triggers a response that causes you to want to explore and understand. Now, if you're in your same old neighborhood every day, day in, day out, then you're going to fall into your same routines. So the easiest way to engage is to, well, first and foremost, travel with the right people because the right group of people can make any experience fun, whereas the wrong group can make the greatest experiences terrible. And then go somewhere new. Go somewhere you've never been before so that you can't fall back on your trusted routines, so that you have to grow, so that you have to explore, so that you have to try new things. And that'll set you up much more for success. Now, if that's just not an option, I recommend doing two things. If you are fundamentally stuck in your area, then you want to play with a having a mission and some constraints. And what I mean by that is set a goal for your night. Let's say you go out and you could go out to the same five bars you always go out to, but that's not going to be interesting to you. But what if when you went out, you couldn't pay for any of your own drinks? You literally had to spend the night convincing people to buy you drinks. Now that causes you to engage with the experience very differently. You fundamentally think in a different way about what's going on. And as a byproduct, the experience is new. So you want to look at your mission and the constraints that you set to your activities. So if somebody was to do this and they wanted to go out with a couple of friends, you know, just to give them that kind of confidence, would you advise them like to drink alcohol or does that you know does that hide the actual true feelings do you have to should you do this sober to kind of really hype you know to twist and to develop the brain or you know how would how should you pick your friends that you do this with is there important characteristics they should have 
So let me uh, speak to each of those individually. Um, you don't need to be drunk if that's what you're pointing to. But the fact is that for millennia, we've been using alcohol as a social lubricant. So it does make it a lot easier. It causes people to bond faster. Uh, but you have to remember that you're essentially borrowing energy from the next day. So if you drink, you're saying, great, I'm going to be really, really engaged right now. But tomorrow I'm going to be totally exhausted. Um, so you just need to make that calculation. Uh, I'll go out these days and I won't, won't drink anything often. Uh, part of it is because I want to be productive the next day. And part of it is that, you know, I'm pretty seasoned and it's not a necessity. But listen, I enjoy throwing back drinks just as much as the next guy. Uh, now, as far as uh, you asked that question in two parts, what was the second part? Um, so the first one was about alcohol, but what is if somebody's to go out and oh, thinking they what want type it, of people? Yeah, how should can, they how, be? How can you pick a band of brothers? Say, like you know, like that band of friends that's going to keep you pushing you forward and not let you just slide back into old habits. Uh, so I think the answer is. Um, or is it just down to yourself to keep pushing that? No, I think the answer is that you want to be able to... So, so there's a study by Nicholas Christakis and James Fowler, um, and they were curious about the obesity epidemic. They were curious, is obesity the type of epidemic that passes from person to person like a cold, or is it a percentage of the population? And what they found was staggering. They found that if you have an obese friend your chances of obesity increase by 45%. Their, uh, your friends who don't know the obese person, their chances increase by 25%, their friends by 10%, and then their friends by 5%, which means that we each have an impact five degrees out. Now, that holds true for obesity, happiness, divorce rates, marriage rates, smoking habits, so on and so forth. And the fact is that it's really predictable how we impact each other. If you then curate the people around you so that they're really safe and quiet, that's the kind of behavior you're going to begin to see. If you curate people who push you further and encourage you to try to do new things, then that's who you'll see. So say somebody does go out and they st they want to start like you were saying, learning how to speak to somebody to get them to buy their drinks, or s speak to somebody to let them stay the night. How do you start the networking skills? How do you start learning, you know, to be comfortable enough in your own skin to build that companionship and the trust, and you know, just get them to to basically invite you into their life. So the hmm. like, so say if I went out tonight and I wanted to meet somebody that I could say, okay, that would get them to let me stay at theirs for the night. How would, mm -hmm. how would I go about that if I was learning this? You know, how would you teach yourself when you started? Uh, so I used to have a rule that I wouldn't be allowed to go home at the end of the day until I met three new people. 
And I would embarrass myself and I'd say stupid things and so on and so forth. But those are all growing pains to learning how to socialize. Um, now, that's one side of it. Then there's the science side of it, which is we really want to take a look at what causes people to bond and connect. So let's think back, right? If you've noticed, we live in communities. Why is that? Because um, we're social animals. We need other people to, like a sense of self, a sense to fit in, maybe. Well, the, so we're social animals not because uh, because there's an advantage to it. What do we gain by being social animals? No, um, avoid loneliness, avoid being attacked, chance mm -hmm. to replicate, um, reproduce. Yeah, so we're safer. Now, if you look at... Uh, at us as a species, our young require years and years of care before they can be independent. Whereas certain animals can run within minutes of birth or are fully grown within a few weeks. And so as a byproduct, we are much more vulnerable and we need communities to protect us. And since we developed as communities, joint activity is what causes us to bond. The fact that we put effort into one another. This is known sometimes as the Ben Franklin effect. Ben Franklin um, had a contentious political rival. And instead of trying to win him over by being nice, he decided that what he's going to do is ask the rival to lend him a rare book that the man had in his library. This required the man to go far out of his way for Franklin. But after he did, the two became close friends. And Franklin explained that the advice that he would receive growing up was that once somebody has done you a favor, they're more likely to do it again. And this turns out to be true. Anytime we invest effort into something, we end up caring about it disproportionately. Researchers sometimes call this uh, the IKEA effect. Because there's a furniture company, IKEA, you have to assemble the furniture yourself. And once you assemble it, you care about it disproportionately because you put an effort into it. So that's kind of the basic concept around it. If you can find ways to get people to invest effort in you and vice versa, it'll bond you guys. It'll create faster relationships, especially if it occurs in a novel format, since we're wired to remember things that are novel. Ah, so is that why you you remember experiences that have far you know that have that the more confidence and the the fear and the risk far more than any other experiences? You know, it's so there's a few things that trigger memory as far as we understand things that are incredibly pleasurable, things that are painful, and things that just stand out as strange or different or unique. Uh, the reason is that the brain's wired to store that information, right? It doesn't want you to die. It wants you to be able to feel good to some degree. And it, uh, if something stands out, it's important that it understands what it is so to ensure that you're, you can survive. So if that's the case, you're most likely to remember things that are novel or fit into those categories. And so what kind of patterns of actions do you see in people you know, that are good at these kind of social connections and influencing others. You know, is there, is there a set of kind of things that they do regularly in their own lives, their attitudes to things, or 
can anybody really learn to be a good networker, a good socializer? Can anybody do this, basically? I believe that anybody within reason can. There are people who are like way on the end of the spectrum of uh, who are outliers that probably actually can't, right? I mean, at a certain point, if uh, if you literally hate human beings, it's unlikely you'll be very good at building a community. Um, but I think the key is in remembering a few things. Uh, one is uh, networking has this image of like some stodgy old white guy handing out business cards trying to get business. And I consider that a very weak model, right? Just when everybody's connected to you, it's not a strong connection. A network is strongest when the con all of the points are connected to each other. And when a network is like that, we call it a community. So I try, instead of building a network, I try to build a community. I try to bring people together so that even if I'm not around, they'll continue to connect with one another. And so why do you think you were successful, you know, compared to other people who have tried to do this and maybe failed? What do you think it is about you as a person or your approach to it that has maybe made you successful in this, you know, because you're one of the few people I hear people recommending the whole time about, oh, you know, flattered. in this, the world of adventure, I suppose. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, you, if you ask, like, oh, who's good at like adventure networking they mention your parties that you throw the networking events and mm -hmm. they always say to check out you so what what do you think it is that makes you so good at this uh i think that um there are a few things one is i really care about people i care about bringing them together i care about creating community and so if i was just after people's money or something like that I think people would see through that, especially because I'm connecting with really intelligent people. And uh, I'm not after anything from them. Like most of the people that I meet have no business use for me whatsoever. I just hosted at one of my events an Olympic fencer and the producer who created Forrest Gump and won an Academy Award for that. I don't do anything in either of those industries. Like, There's no necessity for that. That's a strange uh, mix. I'll give you that. <laughs> I, the other people there were even uh, more random. But yeah, it's it's um, the fact is that, that I really just enjoy meeting interesting people, hearing their stories, connecting them, and providing value. And that's paid in spades. Now, um, so, oh, sorry, what I was going to say was, how, how do you build that? I mean, you, you deal with some amazing people. But you seem to connect people so well. How how do you sit with somebody who's a fencer who t deals with training and somebody who deals with film, and how do you mold that together? Because everybody seems to love your parties, and I just don't get. I'm trying to look, figure out like how how do you build that community? Because you do such a good job at it, and I'd love to hear your sort of insights into it. Mm -hmm. So I think the first thing is if you've done a really good job curating. The content is almost irrelevant because the people themselves are so interesting that all you want to do is hear their stories or learn from them. So I th to some degree, it's a house of cards, right? People come because people come, 
<laughs> the moment that people stopped, would stop coming, nobody would want to go anymore. Uh, but we spend a lot of time curating and we have specific rules to who can be in the room and like all that kind of stuff. Then the other thing is a community engages around content. So you have to find content that would engage everybody and would be fun for them or at least interesting. And so I formatted the dinners with a set of rules that are, sorry, consistent with the values that I have. And if you're going to do something, well, let's, let's talk about you, Ian, for a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's something you're really passionate about? Um, probably the podcast at the moment. I, I really enjoy this kind of discovery and speaking to people. Mm-hmm. And do you have a, and mostly is your audience male? Is that right? Uh, the majority are male. Yeah. So do you run a men's group? No. Um, it's more, it started off this podcast as a way of finding out more about life for myself. And mm-hmm. then I found other people liked it, but I still have that imposter syndrome. I sometimes feel like I'm not suitable to train others because I'm still on the journey myself. So I've never kind of gone down that road. So like 80% of people have imposter syndrome at the top. So don't even like worry about that my question is can you have imposter syndrome and do it anyway yeah okay so if you were to bring a group of guys together what would you do i don't know actually because this is something i've moved to a new city and it's this is one of the questions i was going to have was how do i build that community of friends and you know a network so let's let's run through it right now and listeners as we're i'm having this conversation with ian Ask yourself this, what community do you really care about that you would want to bring together? Because it's an iterative process, right? Like you try something once, it fails, it tried again, it gets a little bit better and so on and so forth. I did, I've done, hosted 127 dinners and an additional 100 and something mirror experiences, which are the salon series. And it's, you know, at the beginning, it wasn't anything. It was just like some 28-year-old guy trying to figure out how to make friends. But when you build a community over long enough, something extraordinary can come up. But the key is, and this is an essential factor, you have to do something that you care about and love. Because believe me, by dinner 50, if I didn't love the people and the activity, it would have been miserable. So, Ian, you care about making an impact on men's lives. What kind of community can you build around that? What's an activity that you'd care about enough to do? Do you like hiking? Do you hunt? Do you uh, play a sport? Yeah, I mean, I quite enjoy sports, and I do a lot of, like, see, a lot of the sports I do, though, are very singular. You know, it's like powerlifting, or it's, I'm wanting to get into, like, American football and stuff like that. You know, try to get into the team game situation, because I get a lot of comments from random people but i can't seem to turn that into getting them to come back or melding people from different you know like i get i interview somebody say a powerlifter and i get all the the jokes shall we call them and then i'll interview somebody who's on style and i get people who are wanting to look better but i can't this is why i was so interested in speaking to you was you merge everybody together with a, un- mm-hmm. with a singular vision or a singular goal and I, I that's what I'm struggling with and that's this is one of the things that 
attracted me to your work was that you seem to have really pinpointed how to do this successfully. Uh, so what one thing to consider is to do something that has nothing to do with their work, like a board game night. Because if it's about career, then you're stuck in a topic. But the moment that you escape career, you can do anything. Right? Who doesn't enjoy a good board game? Who doesn't enjoy a round of some sport? I mean, you could really build a community around that. And it doesn't have to be the best and the brightest at the beginning. You could just do something to do it and let it grow over time. When I first started doing my dinners, the guest list was a lot less impressive than it is now. And I think that there's a lot of the, of, uh, of growth potential. I mean, you know, one day I'm sure we'll host a prime minister and a, uh, or a head of state, but we haven't done it yet. And what do you find with these people who come, you know, have they got a unique, not, not missing, but do you find that there's an event or something that pushes them to start looking for the sense of adventure? Or is it a mix of people, some who are always really adventurous, some who are maybe wanting more from life? Do you see a common characteristics at all? I think that there are certain people that have no desire to be adventurous and certain people that are incredibly engaged with living a novel life. And then most of the people are somewhere in between. When given the opportunity, if you make it easy enough for them, they'll participate. They're more along for the ride. Um, but there's, a, I think, a huge desire. We've gone from a society that's uh, used to being done to to one that wants to do, one that wants to participate, one that wants an Instagram-worthy life. So if you give people the opportunity now to engage in a certain way, they're much more likely to do it. And so how, how do you know if it's a real sense of adventure? You know, how do you know you're not like lying to yourself and going, oh, yeah, I'm pushing myself when reality they're not? You know, do you how can you keep yourself accountable on pushing the envelopes? So it's really simple. If you feel uncomfortable, you're probably doing something adventurous. Now, I'm not saying you're doing something good. I'm just saying it's causing you to live outside of your comfort zone. That in itself is beneficial. But the key is long past the point that the crazy stories of like I convinced, not didn't even convinced, I invited the woman sitting behind the counter at the duty at uh, duty free in Stockholm Arlanda Airport to travel with me to Israel and within 10 seconds she said yes and by the next day she had quit her job grabbed her passport and met me in Israel like long past the point that that story is forgotten uh, I will still have retained the growth from participating in it that never goes away I'm always going to be that expanded human being with an expanded capacity. And so who would be in your ideal dinner party? You know, who would you bring together for, say, an adventure or a night on the town or a flight somewhere? You know, if you had to pick five other people, alive, dead, fictional, real, people that you've maybe never met, who would you pick? Oh, wow. So if it's an adventure is different than a dinner. If I wanted to go on an adventure, I'd bring my best friend Liam Alexander, who's a well-known artist. I'd want uh, Indiana Jones, Ferris Bueller, and uh, Doctor Who. 
but that's a lot of like alpha males. So I, I don't know how that's going to work out. Uh, my, I would most want to go on an adventure with the doctor. Although I think that would be the scariest too. And was there a, a moment in your childhood that made you want to do these sort of things? You know, was it? I literally a- would watch like Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Goonies and be like, why not me? Why don't I get to do these crazy things? And I wanted to figure out what causes it. And I was like, I'm going to figure this out. And that's how we ended up here. So what got you into it? Was it a particular role model? Was it something at a school event? Or, you know, what what kind of made you look and go, okay. You know, and then did you find out just more and more as you pushed yourself? Or? Um, I grew up incredibly unpopular uh, in high school. Not high school. Uh, well, high school as well, but grade school. I I used to love technology and computers and comic books back when it was not cool to like any of that. Now all the biggest movies are comic book movies and everybody has uh, a laptop and wants to build apps and become the next internet billionaire. Um, so the, the important thing is uh, that I said, okay, I'm really unpopular. Maybe I figure out how people behave and what causes them to tick and then I'll be able to make friends. Uh, so, and that's kind of how I went down this path. And what would you say to everybody listening? You know, what do you want them to have as their go away message there? You know, what do you want them to remember the most from this interview? Um, the, fundamentally, the size of your life is in direct proportion to how uncomfortable you're willing to be. And so if you're willing to embrace being uncomfortable, you'll have an opportunity to grow and an opportunity to have adventures. And so ultimately, I guess what I'm uh, saying is I hope all of you listeners have incredibly uncomfortable lives and get to enjoy all the adventures that come with it. And can you just tell us a little bit about your book, how we can keep in touch? You know, why should somebody listening who you've obviously built up some new fans from this, how, how can they get the book? Why should they pick up a copy? And how can we keep in touch with you? Sure. So uh, the book is called The 2 a.m. Principle, Discover the Science of Adventure. It's literally sold anywhere books are sold. So I don't know if you guys have Amazon uh, where you are, but Amazon, Barnes & Noble, like all the major bookshops have it. Uh, and you can just order it online. It's uh, super fun. It tells uh, a collection of stories from my life combined with scientific research uh, explaining how you could achieve all these things. And essentially, I discovered that every adventure follows a predictable four-stage process. And each stage has specific characteristics that, when you apply them, make life exciting. So I call this the epic model of adventure. Uh, It's establish, push boundaries, increase, continue. And it's called the 2 a.m. principle because nothing good happens after 2 a.m. except the most epic experiences of your life. So uh, you'll hear stories about me getting crushed by a bull in Pamplona, battling Kiefer Sutherland in Drunken Jenga, and ending up crashing his family Thanksgiving. I mean, crazy stuff. Uh, and it's a really fun read. As far as staying in touch, I'm e- super... Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, I've read some of your stories, and it is superb. It's, I highly <laughs> recommend you get a copy. Thank you. Um, and as far as being in touch, you can find me anywhere. I'm on Twitter at John Levy, TLB, J-O-N-L-E-V as in Victor, Y as in Yellow, T like Thomas, L like Lion, B like Boy, John Levy, TLB. 
And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, I have a website, johnlevytlb.com. And I'm super easy to get in touch with. So if any of you guys have questions, feel free to reach out. I love hearing from you guys. And what's your ideal adventure? What's the number one goal for you? Um, I mean, hmm. I want to be in a foreign country participating in an activity that sounds completely insane. It should be dangerous enough that I'm excited, but not so dangerous that I'm probably going to die. Uh, and then I... In the best case scenario, something will go wrong, and then with my cleverness and sheer will and friends, we come together to overcome the obstacle and uh, succeed. Well, I wish you nothing but danger for the future. (laughs) Thank you very much. That's it for another week. Thanks for listening. Absorb it. Practice it. Use it. Until next time, keep trying to hit that next level in your life.